Welcome to this reading of the Poem of the Man-God. Thank you for joining me. The Poem of the Man-God is a private revelation of the life of Jesus of Nazareth as recorded by the visionary Maria Valtorta. Now out of print, this five-volume set of books is a narration of the life of Jesus beginning with the birth and childhood of the Virgin Mary through the public ministry of Jesus, his passion and resurrection, and closing with the Assumption into Heaven. The narration is interspersed with direct dictations from Jesus, messages for the whole world. These highly inspired visions were recorded by Maria Valtorta around the time of the Second World War, yet she did not consider herself the author. They were first published, without her name, shortly before her death, and only posthumously was her name added. My sole aim with this podcast is to share the poem of the man-god with the world. I hope you'll enjoy them as much as I have, and if you do, please share them. Thank you for listening. Poem of the Man-God, Book 2, Number 148 Jesus Visits the Baptist Near Inan It is a clear moonlit night, so clear that the ground appears in all its details and the fields covered with corn, which has just come up, look like green-silver plush carpets on which the country paths seem dark stripes, watched over by the tree trunks that are white on the moonlit side and completely dark on the other. Jesus is walking steadfast and alone. He proceeds very fast along his way until he reaches a stream that is flowing down gurgling towards the plain in a northeast direction. He goes upstream as far as a lonely spot near a woody slope. He moves to one side, climbs up a steep path, and arrives at a natural cave on the side of the hill. He goes in and bends over a body that is lying on the ground and can be seen only indistinctly in the moonlight, which shines on the path outside, but does not illuminate the cave. He calls him, John. The man awakes and sits up, still drowsy but he soon realizes who is calling him and jumps to his feet, then prostrates himself, saying, How is it that my Lord came to me? To make your heart and mine happy. You wanted me, John. Here I am. Get up, let us go out into the moonlight and sit and talk on the rock near the grotto. John obeys, gets up, and goes out. But when Jesus sits down, he kneels down in front of Christ. He is wearing a sheepskin which hardly covers his very lean body, and he pushes back his long disheveled hair which had fallen over his eyes to see the Son of God better. The contrast between them is very strong. Jesus is pale and fair-haired. His hair is soft and tidy, and his beard is trimmed round the lower part of his face. John is like a bush of very dark hairs in which two deep-set eyes can be seen, two feverish eyes, I would say, as they shine so much in their jet-black setting. I have come to thank you. You have fulfilled and are fulfilling with the perfect perfection of grace within you, your mission as my precursor. When the hour comes, you will enter heaven beside me, because you will have deserved everything from God, and in the expectation you will already be in the peace of the Lord, my beloved friend." I will enter peace very soon, my master and God. Bless your servant to strengthen him for his last trial. I am aware it is now near, and that there is still one witness I have to bear, the witness of my blood. 
and you are aware more than I am that my hour is about to arrive. The merciful bounty of your divine heart has brought you here to fortify the last martyr of Israel and the first of the new era. Tell me only one thing. Will I have to wait long for your coming? No, John, not much longer than the time that elapsed between your birth and mine. May the Most High be blessed for that, Jesus. May I call you so? You can, because of our blood and your holiness. The name which also sinners pronounce can be pronounced by the Holy One in Israel. It is salvation for them. Let it be kindness to you. What do you want from your Jesus, your master and cousin? I am about to die. As a father is anxious for his children, so I am anxious for my disciples. My disciples, you are a master, and you know how fondly we love them. My only fear in dying is that they may get lost like sheep without a shepherd. Will you please gather them? I give you back the three who are yours and who have been perfect disciples while waiting for you. They, and Matthew in particular, really possess wisdom. I have some more, and they will come to you. Allow me to entrust those three to you personally. They are the dearest. And they are dear to me. Do not worry, John. They shall not perish neither those three nor the other true disciples of yours. I will collect your inheritance and look after it as the dearest treasure received from the perfect friend and servant of the Lord. John prostrates himself to the ground, and what seems impossible in such an austere personage, he bursts into tears, sobbing out of spiritual joy. Jesus lays a hand on his head. Your joyful and humble tears are in unison with a song of long ago at the sound of which your little heart leapt out of joy. The song and your tears are the same hymn of praise to the Eternal Father, who has done great things, he that is mighty to humble souls. Also my mother is about to intone once again the song that she sang then, but later the greatest glory will come also to her as to you after your martyrdom. I convey also her greetings to you. You deserve all respect and comfort. Here it is only the hand of the Son of Man which is laid on your head, but light and love are descending from the open heavens to bless you, John. I do not deserve so much. I am your servant. You are my John. That day at the Jordan, I was the Messiah who was being revealed. Here, now, it is your cousin and God who wishes to give you the viaticum of his love as God and as a relative. Get up, John. Let us kiss each other goodbye. I do not deserve so much. I have longed so much for it all my life, but I dare not do that to you. You are my God. I am your Jesus. Goodbye. My soul will be near yours until peace comes. Live and die in peace for the sake of your disciples. That is all I can give you for the time being. But in heaven, I will give you one hundredfold because you have found grace in the eyes of God. Jesus has lifted him and embraced him, kissing him on his cheeks and being kissed by him. Then John kneels once again and Jesus lays both hands on his head and prays with his eyes turned to heaven. He seems to be consecrating him. He is impressive. They are silent for some time. Then Jesus takes his leave with his sal kind salutation, may peace be always with you. 
and he resumes the same road as before. And the vision ends. Poem of the Man God, Book 2, number 149, Jesus Teaches the Apostles. My Lord, why do you not rest during the night? Last night I got up and did not find you. Your place was empty. Why were you looking for me, Simon? I wanted to give you my mantle. I was afraid you might feel cold in the limpid but very cold night. And were you not cold? In many years of misery I got accustomed to being badly dressed, badly fed, and badly lodged. That valley of the dead, how horrible. Just now it is not the case. But the next time we go to Jerusalem, because we will certainly go there, come, my lord, to that place of death. There are so many unhappy people there, and their physical misery is not the worst. What most tortures and consumes them is their desperation. Do you not think, my lord, that lepers are too harshly treated? Judas Iscariot replies to Simon Zealot, who is pleading the cause of his old companions before Jesus does. So would you leave them amongst the people? So much the worst for them if they are lepers. That's all we need to make Jew the Jews martyrs. How lovely it would be to have lepers walking in the streets with the soldiers and other things, exclaims Peter. I think it is fair and wise to keep them confined, remarks James of Alpheus. Yes, but it should be done in a charitable manner. You do not realize what it is to be a leper. You cannot speak about them. If it is fair to take due care of our bodies, why are we not equally fair to the souls of lepers? Who speaks to them of God? And God only knows how much they need to think of God and of peace in their utter desolation. Simon, you are right. I will go to them, because it is just, and to teach you all such mercy. So far I have cured the lepers that I met by chance. So far, that is, until I was driven out of Judea. I addressed the great people in Judea, as they are the most remote and in the greatest need of redemption, in order to be of help to the Redeemer. As I am now convinced that such an attempt is quite useless, I am abandoning it. I will no longer address the mighty ones, but the lower and miserable people in Israel, and the lepers in the valley of the dead will be amongst them. I will not disappoint the faith that those who have been evangelized by the grateful leper have in me. How did you know, my lord, that I did that? asked Simon Zealot. As I know what friends and enemies, whose hearts I search, think of me. Goodness gracious! You really know everything about us, master, shouts Peter. Yes, I do. Also that you, and not only you, wanted to send Photini away. Do you not know that you are not allowed to send a soul away from good? Do you not know that to get to the heart of a town you must be most kind and merciful also towards those whom human society, which is not holy because it is not identified with God, calls and judges unworthy of mercy. But do not be upset because I know all that. Be sorry only that the sentiments of your hearts are not approved of by God, and endeavor not to have them in future. I told you the first year is over. In the new year I will proceed along my way with new forms. In the second year you must make progress too. 
Otherwise, it would be useless for me to get tired evangelizing and super-evangelizing you, my future priests. Did you go and pray, Master? You promised to teach us your prayers. Will you do that this year? I will, but I want to teach you to be good. Goodness is already a prayer. But I will do it, John. And will you teach us to work miracles this year? Asks Judas Iscariot. Miracles are not taught. They are not the game of a juggler. A miracle comes from God. Who has grace in the eyes of God obtains it. If you learn to be good, you will have grace and obtain miracles. But you are not answering our question. Simon asked you and John asked you, but you have not told us where you went last night. It could be dangerous to go out in alone in a, in a heathen country. I went to make a righteous soul happy, and since he is doomed to death, I went to collect his inheritance. Did you? Was it a large one? Yes, Peter, very large and of great value, the fruit of the work of a true just man. But I have not seen anything in your bag. Are they jewels which you are carrying on you? Yes, jewels that are most dear to my heart. Let us see them, my lord. I will have them when the man doomed to death dies. For the time being, he needs them, and I need them, leaving them where they are. Has he invested them at an interest? Do you think that money is the only valuable thing? It is the most useless and filthy thing on the earth. It is only useful for material things, for crimes, and for hell. Only rarely man makes use of it for a good purpose. Well, if it's not money, what is it? Three disciples formed by a saint. You have been to the Baptist. Oh, why? Why? You always have me with you, and you all together are not worth a single fingernail of the prophet. Was it not right that I should go to take God's blessing to the Holy One in Israel, to fortify him for his martyrdom? But if he is holy... He does not need to be fortified. He can manage by himself. The day will come when my saints will be brought before judges and condemned to death. They will be saints in the grace of God, comforted by faith, hope, and charity. And yet I can already hear their cries, the cries of their souls, Lord, help us in this hour. Only with my help my saints will be strong in persecutions." We're not the ones you're referring to, are we? Because I am utterly incapable of suffering. That is true. You are not capable of suffering, but, Bartholomew, you have not been baptized yet. Yes, I have. With water, you still need another baptism. Then you will be able to suffer. I am already old. And when very old, you will be stronger than a young man. But... You will help us just the same, will you not? I shall always be with you. I will endeavor to get accustomed to suffering, says Bartholomew. I will always pray from now on to obtain this grace from you, says James of Alpheus. I am old, and all I ask for is to precede you and enter peace with you, says Simon Zealot. I... I do not know what I would like, whether to precede you or to be near you and die together, says Judas of Alpheus. I will be unhappy if I survive you, 
but I will be comforted by preaching you to the people, states the Iscariot. I am of the same opinion as your cousin, says Thomas. I instead am with Simon the Zealot, says James of Zebedee. And what about you, Philip? Well, I say that I do not know what to think about it. The Eternal Father will give me what is best. Oh, keep quiet. You would think that the Master is to die soon. I do not want to think of his death, exclaims Andrew. You are quite right, my dear brother. You are young and healthy, Jesus. You will have to bury us all. I mean the ones who are older than you. What if they killed me? Let that never happen to you, but I will avenge you. How, by a blood vengeance? Well, also by that means, if you will allow me. Otherwise, by my profession of faith amongst peoples, I will confute the accusations moved against you. The world will love you because I will be indefatigable in preaching you. That is true, and that is what will happen. And what about you, John, and you, Matthew? I must suffer, and wait until I have washed my soul by suffering a great deal, says Matthew. And I, I do not know. I would like to die at once so that I would not see you suffer. I would like to be near you, to comfort you in your agony. I would like to live for a long time to serve you. I would like to die with you, to enter heaven with you. I would like everything, because I love you. And I think that I, the least of my brothers, will be able to do all that if I know how to love you properly. Jesus, increase your love, says John. You mean increase my love, remarks the Iscariot. No, I say increase your love, because the more he will inflame us with his love, the more we shall love. Jesus draws the pure, passionate John to himself and kisses his forehead, saying, You have revealed a mystery of God about the sanctification of hearts. God infuses himself to just souls, and the more they surrender to his love, the more he increases it and their holiness grows greater. That is the mysterious and ineffable work of God and of souls. It is accomplished in mystical silence, and its power, which cannot be described by human words, creates indescribable masterpieces of holiness. It is not a mistake, but a wise prayer to ask God to increase his love in one's heart. And the vision ends.